spending time with with his sort of initial uh, hires is critical because those are the people who who are going to sort of be part of the initial strategy, initial product strategy, but also with all the people who are going to hire the next level down. And uh, if you don't get that first level right, there's absolutely no way you'll get the next level down right. And then it snowballs uh, downhill from there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in FinTech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Renaud Laplanche, co-founder and CEO at Upgrade, one of the leading neobanks in the U.S. that was ranked as the fastest growing U.S. credit card in 2021. Founded in 2016, Upgrade has given over $10 billion in credit to consumers and has raised more than $600 million from DST, Union Square Ventures, Rivet, Code2, and many more. In this episode, we discuss leadership lessons. Renault is a serial entrepreneur and fintech OG who previously founded Lending Club, one of the first fintech companies that went public in 2014 on the New York Stock Exchange. He shares what he learned from that experience, including the impact of recurring revenue, people management reflections, fundraising strategies, and a lot more. Stakeholder capitalism, why optimizing the bottom line isn't enough for companies and CEOs need to pay attention to multiple stakeholders and demonstrate a positive impact on society. Renault's take on current investor sentiment for publicly traded fintech companies and why despite the latest downturn, he's actually seeing high enthusiasm from investors for the fintech sector, launching crypto-driven products, and how Upgrade is helping mainstream consumers dip their toe into crypto, and just a lot more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the great Renaud Laplanche from Upgrade. Well, Renaud, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. It's, It's good to talk to you again. Uh, how's, how's it going? Great. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to chat. And, and I'm guessing you're joining us all the way from uh, sunny California? I am just outside San Francisco. It's a beautiful day here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very nice. Very nice. Cool. So, uh, Renaud, I think a, a lot of fintech insiders, a lot of people that know fintech well, are going to be familiar with you or, or the companies that you've built. So it, it's going to be interesting to learn from you and learn some of the lessons you've learned along the way. Uh, first, of course, with Lending Club and now with, with Upgrade. So let's just jump right into it. What lessons from your past experiences have informed your journey so far at, at Upgrade? Yeah, so, I mean, 10 years of running Lending Club was one of the, the first uh, fintech, one of the first successful consumer fintech companies. So you can imagine, like, lots of lessons learned. I mean, just to, to um, sort of take a few, um, a couple, I'd say, maybe one in terms of, like, product strategy and, and one in terms of company building overall. So product strategy, I think what we learned uh, at Lending Club was 
Really, the, the impact of recurring revenue, right? I mean, we, we started with a sort of product that's great for consumers, so personal loan uh, that helps consumers sort of refinance their credit card and, and save on the cost of, of interest. So it's a really good product for, for consumers. It's a product that's a, that generates a one-time revenue for the company, and it's not a frequent use product, right? You don't, you're not going to refinance your credit card every every day or every month. Uh, it's a product you might use once every couple of years. So that, that creates a stream of revenue uh, for a company that, that's really not as predictable as you'd like it to be. Because it's like, again, what time revenue upfront. And so every quarter you need to go like, earn new revenue, uh, uh, acquire new customers. And so when, when we took Lending Club public, uh, it was really the, the, one of the key sort of short theses was, hey, this company needs to go earn revenue every, every quarter. So at some point, there's going to be a bad quarter. So, so I think that's um, obviously something we, we learned from and, and did differently at, at Upgrade. Uh, and one of the reasons why we're focusing more on, on card and, and mobile banking than, than loans. Um, I think we have, we have a credit card or we have the right type of credit card, like, like the upgrade card. Uh, you uh, sort of put a product in the hands of, of consumers that we can use sort of every day or every few days. So um, it generates a lot of very recurring revenue. It's very predictable. So every cohort of users brings revenue every month. And so if you stop acquiring customers or if your acquisition slows down for any reason, uh, you still have the entire base generating revenue every single month. I think in terms of, of product strategy, focusing on recurring revenue and, and ideally multi-product um, uh, type of, of, um, sort of revenue is, is obviously, um, I mean, gives you a lot of predictability, which helps always, but particularly when you, when you go public, uh, it's something to, to keep in mind. Um, so I think that was one of the big, big learnings in terms of product strategy. In terms of like overall company building, I think it's like, as always, it's like it's all about the people, right? It's and I think what I learned and, and really applied to upgrade was like don't go it alone. So at Landing Club, so we are like two co-founders. My co-founder was was a technical co-founder. So like early, a lot of the early business decisions uh, were sort of very lonely, and so building the team was was really hard. Building the, the management team, and then from there, sort of every layer of management uh, down the, the org chart, and and you make like I mean, in the first year or two, every decision is a really consequential strategic decision, right? It's these early decisions are going to inform a lot of the things that happen four or five years down the road, and so if you can have one or multiple co-founders, uh, that's probably a good idea. So you. Sort of share the uh, the outcome uh, a bit as well in terms of the economics, right? You divide the, the pie into more, more slices, uh, for sure. But but the pie can get so much so much bigger and and with like so much less stress and and pain than uh, when when you go at it alone. Uh, being an entrepreneur can be very very lonely with a lot of very high highs and low lows. I think if you can share, like shoulder that, that burden with uh, several co-founders, that's uh, all the better. So upgrade, we probably went like all the way uh, in with five co-founders, which is probably more than, than uh, a lot more than the average. 
but that helped us of having a sort of executive team right from the get-go of people who've worked uh, together before. A lot of us were at, at upgrade at Lending Club before, and, uh, and so we all like good at different things. We're very complementary, so it, it really, it really functions as a team, as a sort of highly effective team. And, and then, then from there, you can really sort of build out the, the rest of the company. So I think I would I would give you advice of like having at least one, possibly several co-founders. Uh, you just like sort of divide the, uh, uh, the 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 effort in as many people and 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 really reach better decisions with more people weighing in and having having sort of uh, different different point of view. So obviously, your past experiences have helped you inform uh, your experience at Upgrade. But every company is different and also the market is evolving every day. Maybe tell us about some of the new insights uh, and new discoveries that you've encountered uh, along the way over the past, I guess, is four years with Upgrade? So we were well, five years. We, we started in 2016. We launched in 2017. So product launch was four years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, the, the world has changed quite a bit uh, between so the, the Lending Club era and, and the Upgrade era. I mean, crypto <laughs> wasn't around. Uh, fintech wasn't really a thing, right? I mean, we were, Lending Club was one of the early fintech companies. At Upgrade, we can hire folks that have, who have like 10 or 12 years of fintech experience. Uh, so that, that clearly wasn't, wasn't the case um, 10 years ago. So yeah, the world has changed, I think, in, in many ways. I mean... Uh, one that's that, that's really pretty pretty impactful is I think stakeholder capitalism really became a thing. I think the way you you manage a company in uh, 2022 is very different from the way you, you managed one just 10 or 15 years ago. I think sort of optimizing the bottom line isn't isn't enough, and it's it's part of the job for sure. But there are so many other stakeholders to 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 take into consideration, whether it's so, I mean, customers, obviously, but uh, so shareholders, suppliers, uh, employees. I mean, employees have a lot more of a voice than uh, than they did at the time. You, you can see what, what happened at, at Google and some other, other places where you see employees really sort of voicing their, their concerns and informing strategy to, to, to an extent. Obviously, what, what happened with uh, the pandemic recently has, has changed things even, even further. And I think the, the role of corporations in society has, has evolved. And I think we, we're expecting more from corporations than uh, sort of building great products and, and turning a profit. I think we're expecting them to be sort of engaged and, and uh, sort of talk openly about sort of what's happening in society and, and how we can help uh, other than, than just through our products. So at Upgrade, we're really sort of taking that to heart. And, and so we've, we've set up a number of, um, sort of ERGs, employees, employee resource groups, uh, where sort of employees can organize and, and uh, sort of, uh, around sort of areas of interest, like social justice and, and uh, climate change. And um, we set up sort of matching funds um, when uh, so there's something happening in the world that that requires uh, some donations where we we feel we can we can help, and and, and these efforts are really sort of managed and all the a lot of the volunteering efforts from from the uh, the employees are managed by these uh, sort of employee resource groups. So I think a lot of that wasn't as uh, sort of prominent just ten or fifteen years ago. 
uh, is really a, a big part of how you of manage a fast-growing, successful company in, in 2022. Yeah, and, and you see it amongst leaders of, of different types of corporations. I mean, I, I interviewed in the past people like, for example, David Veles, founder of Nubank, and he was talking about this. Uh, but also on the other side of the spectrum, Doc Peterson, who's the CEO of S&P Global, also this was top of mind and 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 everyone in between. Um, so that, that seems to be pretty unique. Are your customers thinking about this as well? Maybe tell us a little bit about your, your customers. For sure. I mean, it's, um, I mean, you never know for sure what your customers are thinking, uh, but it's it's part of brand perception, right? It's, uh, it's a company sort of active on, on social issues. Um, what's the sort of carbon footprint of, of the company? There's, we know there's a portion of our customers that, that's very sensitive to, uh, to, to to that. And so trying to do the right thing and trying to have a, a positive uh, impact in, in, in the world. Um, and, uh, and and clearly sort of our, our customers and, and uh, sort of employees have been rewarding us for it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And have you found over the years some of your favorite ways to kind of collect customer feedback and kind of listen from your customers? Because I understand this is part of your innovation process, right? Kind of figuring out what the client wants. Yeah, no, it, it is. And uh, again, it's really hard to uh, sort of uh, know exactly what's happening in the heads of of anyone, including <laughs> your customers. And, and so what we find sometimes is, I mean, sure, we, we do as many sort of customer survey and, and focus group as, as anyone else. Uh, but sometimes just looking at sort of data uh, is, is more helpful right? to inform uh, sort of product feedback and, and further sort of innovation. Uh, just looking at how people are using the existing products, how people are using even products we, we don't have, right? It's when we, uh, so before we launched Upgrade Card, we looked at how so people were using credit cards in general and, and found that a lot of it just wasn't making much sense. And you, you had sort of, uh, families getting into a lot of credit card debt, not out of desire to uh, uh, to sort of get credit, but more as a sort of snowball effect of carrying the balance over time and, and every month. And you, with the way credit cards, um, traditional credit cards work, you, you just like carry over that balance, and there's a very min- very small minimum monthly payment, and uh, you end up uh, sort of having this like revolving debt that that uh, you never really take care of, and that that led to uh, sort of eight thousand uh, dollar of credit card debt for every single family in in this country. Right, so there's, there's now more than a trillion dollar in credit card debt. There is interest at seventeen percent on, on average. So, so looking at the data, we said, okay, let's um, let's try to create a product that's more helpful to consumers, where whereby you sort of get access to credit when you need it. Um, there's the same sort of credit on demand aspect of a credit card, but it's a sort of, it's not a revolving product. You at the end of each month, the balance turns into an installment plan. And you really pay down your debt every month, the fixed rate with fixed monthly payments. And you have a clear finish line, so it's a more responsible way to to use uh, to use a credit card. So it wasn't a survey per se, right? Nobody really asked for that product, uh, but just looking at the 
of how people were using credit cards and, and really the devastating impact that credit cards have had on, on a lot of families' budget uh, and, and debt situation over time. We thought, okay, there, there, there must be a better, uh, a better way. And that, that led to an amazing innovation, like, like the upgrade card, which is now the fastest uh, growing credit card in, in America. Yeah, congrats. I, I saw that very recently. Switching gears a little bit. So, Renaud, you have lived both in, in the private markets and also in the public markets uh, as a company leader. So I think you're going to be able to kind of, it'll be interesting to hear your, your thoughts on this. And, and that's that public markets have lost a lot of enthusiasm for, for fintech stocks uh, out there, fintech companies. Um, and as we all know, some have taken uh, a bigger beating than, than others. What's your take on, on what's going on with, with the market? And do you think we'll, we'll ever see in the, in the near to mid future, uh, another IPO cycle? For sure. I mean, markets move in, in cycles, right? And, and there are a lot of micro factors, right? It's, it's not just fintech. I think a lot of high beta stocks have lost more than, than, than the market, but that's the, uh, that's the definition of a high beta. Uh, so fast-growing fintech uh, stocks were, were part of it. I think probably some of the micro impact was uh, compounded by the fact that there's like high inflation, rising interest rates, a lot of investors wonder, hey, what does a high interest rate environment do to, to fintech? So we haven't seen that really in, in, in the public markets yet. But then you add, obviously, the, the war in Ukraine and, and uh, sort of other macro factors, and, and you get to this uh, sort of perfect storm uh, with a lot of these stocks being down to sort of 40%. And, and what, I mean, what's useful also to, uh, to remember is a lot of these uh, stocks were sort of up um, 200% last year, right? So, yeah, you lose a bit, but you lose from a, from a very high um from a very high multiple to, to start with. And even in the current market, if you look at sort of a firm or upstart, I mean, they're still trading at like eight times um, revenue run rate, uh, which, which is still a sort of okay, okay valuation. And, and then you look at Nubank, which is probably the, the closest to upgrade, right? being a sort of credit-led neobank that sort of, uh, delivers the full sort of mobile banking experience but monetizes users through, uh, through credit, um, which is really so very similar to, uh, to, to Upgrade. I mean, Nubank is still trading at more than 20 times um, the revenue run rate. So, so even, even being down a little bit, um, you, see, you see pretty, uh, uh, pretty high investors of interest and enthusiasm even for, 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 um, for the sector. And so some of the macro uh, factors obviously are going to turn around and uh, I think the market was up uh, pretty pretty big time today and uh, yeah you can't really predict where the market is going to go but you you know uh, <laughs> you know it's going to turn around at some point yeah yeah for sure and then like speaking of new bank and credit driven fintechs it seems like you start by perfecting one product being monoline but eventually you have to build a financial ecosystem it, it sounds like you agree with that approach yeah, completely. I think that's um, and that's also what I meant with, with the, some of the learnings from Lending Taiwan in terms of like buildings of recurring recurring stream of revenue. I mean the the sort of 
way to look at this from the consumer standpoint, it's really sort of building products that are relevant to, to our customers and relevant in their life right? and, and meaningful. Uh, so I think the goal is to get to a daily use. Um, so when, once you start using your product every day, suddenly you, you, uh, so the product becomes relevant, it becomes important to you, 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 you look at, at it more often, uh, it's really a bigger part of your life. Um, so, and, and, and because of that, you're, you're also more likely to sort of perform on your loans, on your card, because you, you don't want to lose access to that, that particular product. So I think credit is a great way to sort of monetize um, uh, users, but it's not a daily use uh, type of product. You don't need credit every single day. Uh, so I think coupling credit products to mobile banking is really the way to, to create this uh, sort of uh, perfect combination of, of daily use being highly relevant and meaningful to, to your customers, but having the credit um, aspect to, to monetize transactions. I mean, just to give um, the listeners a sense of what we're, we're talking about, in a sort of pure sort of mobile banking situation, uh, the revenue, the main revenue is with debit interchange, which is about 1.4% of, of every transaction. In a credit context, you earn between like five and eight percent of, of every transaction. So it's very meaningful, sort of difference in terms of monetization potential. Um, but but again, you you lose some of that uh, sort of uh, frequency of of, of need. Um, so so having both uh, like like Nubank of of upgrade, uh, I think is a is a great combination. So Renal, recently I was able to sit down with an interview, Paolo Passoni, who's the head of SoftBank Latin America. And he he has, you know, traveled down the rabbit hole of crypto. And his take was, in the future, every company will be a hybrid, will have, a, will have some sort of crypto strategy. Upgrade has gone in this direction. You, you have a Bitcoin rewards card, do you think you'll you'll delve into more crypto-driven products? What what direction do you think you'll you'll move specifically with crypto? Yeah, I mean we we always uh, sort of like to uh, innovate and, and and try new products. So we, the, the crypto rewards was, was really our first foray into uh, into into DeFi, and in that particular case, it was really sort of giving a choice to our customers to get their rewards either in cash or in Bitcoin. So we. Today we have about like a bit under ten percent of the new cards we issue every every day that are the Bitcoin reward cards. So it's it's decent. Uh, I mean we're glad we did it. It's not um, hasn't been transformative, right? It's not fifty percent. And I think part of it is also like where sort of cryptocurrencies have been trading lately, where it's maybe less exciting than it was. Uh, few months ago. Uh, so I think we will see that evolve over time. Uh, I do think it's a great way for consumers, particularly the uh, sort of not necessarily the sort of, uh, early adopters, but more of the mainstream consumers to uh, really sort of dip their toe into cryptocurrencies because it's some of our customers aren't comfortable necessarily sort of buying uh, cryptocurrencies, but if they're getting it for free as part of a rewards program, I think, yeah, why, why not? And so that's, that's a way to get them interested into the market. And once they own uh, some, some crypto and they, they have a crypto wallet, we can do more with it. Um, so I think, I think it's a great sort of way to introduce crypto to, to a mass market. Uh, now we'll see how 
how that goes. Uh, we're launching a new version of that uh, sort of crypto rewards program in a, in a few weeks from now. So we're um, continuing to sort of, again, test the market, look at the data, see how, how our customers are, are using it, uh, to see in what, uh, what direction that takes us. One angle that we have seen quite recently is for fintech businesses without a balance sheet, without deposits, you obviously, you have your credit providers, but we've started to see some, some innovation around you know, companies that are providing that liquidity through DeFi protocols rather than going to your traditional credit fund for your line. Is that something you've, you've seen? Uh, I wonder if, you know, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, and then we're sort of obviously monitoring the, the, the market. I mean, it, at this stage, it doesn't look like there's a clear benefit um, using DeFi protocol on, on that side of the balance sheet, for, at least for, for upgrade. Um, but there, again, there might be in the future and we're keeping our ear on the ground and see what's, what's happening in the market and see if there's, um, there's a sort of reason for it. But in, in general, I mean, we, we sort of, that, that's our, that's how we think about innovation. That's like, what does innovation do for us? What does it do for, to our customers? What does it do for, for society at large? Um, if there's no clear benefit. We're not necessarily going to sort of innovate for the, for innovation's sake. Um, but um, I, for some for some companies that might be that might be a benefit. In our case, I mean, a lot of the funding comes from sort of credit unions and, and small community banks, um, and uh, so that market is doing great, and we get very sort of low cost um, capital and then very predictable capital from from these like small financial institutions. Um, so there's there's no again, no clear benefit in in doing something fundamentally different. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it's mostly, I think it will make sense for very early stage uh, fintechs. Renaud, one question that I've talked about with a few guests recently is about board management. And I've, I've gotten to hear the perspective of some pretty prominent investors, and, and that's great. But I'd love to get your perspective as a CEO and, and, and founder, you know, and also having sat on public company boards and private company boards, what have you learned about what makes a, a board work? What doesn't work? Uh, how do you manage one? Yeah, so similar to um, what, what I said about so building the, the management team, right? It's really a team. So um, you don't want to have so five centers uh, playing on your on your team, right? You um, you want to build build a team in a way that makes sense with people who are like good at different things and, and complement each other. Um, diversity obviously matters. Having the different voice and, and point of view and set of experiences uh, matters. I think probably one aspect of board composition that's not talked about as much. Uh, maybe it's not entirely politically correct. Um, but it's really about sort of board members of age, um, frankly, because they, I mean, I think the sort of natural um, uh, sort of direction is to sort of go with retired executives, just just because I mean it's a practical matter. We just have more time to be on board than than active executives, um, and and there's definitely a benefit in sort of experience and and wisdom and and sort of having seen it all. And you need some of that on your board, uh, but I think you also need um, sort of 
active um, executive executives who also of a different generation and, and maybe a generation that's closer to to our employees, to our customers. Uh, I mean, frankly, if, if all your customers are in their um, your average customers' age is in their thirties, average customers are in their thirties, and your entire board in their sixties. Um, there, there is a disconnect, and they're not going to be sort of interested in the same things and, and see things the same way. Um, so, so I think that's uh, again <laughs> it doesn't get talked about much, uh, but I think it matters. I think that, that sort of um, diversity of that generational diversity on the board. Um, it's obviously hard because uh, of uh, great uh, entrepreneurs and great executives are extremely busy, and then it's harder for them to to get on board. Um, so, so I think it's it's good to have both, and maybe you give like the committee chairs uh, to the the, more, the retired executives who have more time on their hands and, and can sort of prepare uh, for for committee work, and uh, but still have at least one, two, maybe three sort of uh, more sort of active executives who are who are going to be uh, sort of providing just different um, uh, again different perspective. On, on issues and and be some, sometimes ge- generationally closer to your customers and, and, and your employees. Fascinating. And you're right. You don't hear about that a lot, but it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, and, and speaking of of uh, you know younger generations, we, we do have, I'm proud to say, a, a good number of founders who either are just getting started or are considering taking that jump. I, I think this whole episode is a, is a lesson on entrepreneurship, but still, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, for those that are, are just getting started in their, in, in their first year or, or less, you know, what would you advise uh, you know, a, a younger Renault who's, who's about to get started? Don't do it. <laughs> That's my best advice. Why are you doing this to yourself? You could have a perfectly good job at uh, at, 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 a, at a bank. Um, no, I mean, yeah, obviously, it's no, it, it's it's an amazing experience, and I encourage everyone to to try it at least once, and then uh, if you're lucky, several times. I think the best advice is is always. I mean, it's back to it's all about it's all about the people. Right? It's. Um, so again, getting getting co-founders is gonna help you go through tough times and and just allocate the work among among more people, and then like spending really time and be very deliberate about sort of building the early team, because these these sort of early folks you're gonna be sort of surrounding yourself with. Um, are gonna have a sort of multiplying effect on the rest of the team, right? And I think in general, sort of, uh, people don't hire uh, people who are smarter or, or better or harder working than they are. Um, and, and, and that's a mistake. We should <laughs> all look to, uh, to, to do that. Hire people like, super smart, super hardworking, uh, and are really going to give you leverage. And, and, and sometimes of Cultural fit and personality traits, uh, I would say, are more important than uh, sort of having experience in that particular domain. Uh, I think one mistake I've, I've seen a lot in, in fintech is sort of young fintech entrepreneurs hiring um, experienced sort of bankers, just because they yeah they have ten or twenty years of financial services and that 
that looks good on a, on a PowerPoint presentation and uh, it's sort of reassuring uh, to have someone who's, uh, who has industry experience and industry experience is absolutely, um, absolutely important. But, but what you find sometimes is, I mean, not like every former banker is, is, uh, sort of, is the same for sure. And, and, and some of them have absolutely what it takes to, to be an entrepreneur and, and, uh, and really support up their sleeves and, and be next to you in every, every battle. Uh, but others um, don't have it in them. And they sometimes have a sort of romantic version of what the startup life really is. Uh, and they, they feel uh, they, they're ready for it and they're, and they're really not. Uh, so I think being able to test that and really spending time with with these sort of initial uh, hires is critical because those are the people who who are going to sort of be part of the initial strategy, initial product strategy, but also with all the people who are going to hire the next level down. And uh, if you don't get that first level right, there's absolutely no way you'll get the next level down right. And then it snowballs uh, downhill from there. So spend as much time as, as you need uh, to find some great co-founders, great sort of initial folks uh, to be on, on the executive team with like really good sort of cultural fit, um, more than just experience, and you'll be rewarded for it. And, and sometimes it's, I mean, you, you want to move fast, right? You want to, you have a sort of presentation uh, coming up with a VC uh, a couple of months later, and and you want to have that great name on a on a PowerPoint page, and that's a sure way to uh, to screw it up. Um, so my, my advice is like take as much time as you need uh, to get it right, because there's nothing more important than than the people. Fantastic, great uh, great advice for anyone, uh, not just coming up, but uh, I guess anyone building. So, Renal, thank you again for for joining. Always a, a pleasure learning from you, and I'm sure the audience is, is going to enjoy it very much. Oh, thank you. It was fun. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Renal Laplanche, CEO of Upgrade and Fintech Legend. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and really, really means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.